You have more than that. On Facebook? Yeah. 1.8 million likes, 2.2 follows. Yeah. I go by yeah. follows. It's okay. a bigger number. What are it's you doing? It's a bigger number. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Size matters. Welcome to Take It or Leave It, an advice-ish podcast for parents. You can download this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play Music. Be sure to subscribe and give us a review with your thoughts about the show, considering we are the number one globally rated podcast across all platforms. Interstellarly. Interstellarly. Jupiter was close this year. (laughs) (laughs) But they didn't win. We won the iHeart Media Award for that. Yeah. Interstellar Podcast of the Century. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to brag about it, but since you brought it up, (laughs) I also got best host in the universe globally. Co-host. Thank you, best man ever, 436, for the review. I've binges all your episode, and I'm in love with how real you women are. This is exactly my motto. What you see is what you get. I usually don't do reviews, but when I heard Tiffany break down about her mom fail, I was bawling with her. (gasps) I had to let y'all know it's so nice to hear that other moms snap sometimes and how incredibly bad we feel. That's so nice. Thank you for leaving a review, best man ever, 436. I really appreciate it. Another five-star review. Yes. I know. That's but I all saw, we ever get. I went so through crazy. and I was I was reading them and I saw this one and I was like, we have to bring that one on. That's because, so sweet. Yeah. Well, that, was a, that mom fail was a big one for you in terms of like... Lots of feelings. Yeah, I was and, not you know, ready for it. So I, when I saw this review, I was like, oh, we got to throw that in there. Oh, thank you. I'm your host, Tiffany, from Juggling the Jenkins. This podcast will discuss all things marriage, motherhood, and everything in between. Please remember we are not professionals at anything you may actually need. So any advice we give, you can take or leave because it might be crap. So on today's episode of Take It or Leave It, we are going to be talking all things Meredith. Mm. Uh, That's inappropriate. My favorite topic. Yes. (laughs) I am very excited to dive into the crevices of your being and find out. (laughs) That's disgusting. (laughs) Crevasses. Sorry. My crevasses. Okay, but before we get into the topic, let's tell everyone how they can win the opportunity to remotely co-host the season finale with us. This is your line. I'm sorry. (laughs) But before we get into the topic, let's tell everyone. Oops. Oh, my God. This is our first day. (laughs) Before we get into topics, let's tell everyone how they can win the opportunity to join in my crevices. I'm what? just kidding. That's not how it goes. Before, <laughs> let's let everyone know how they can win the opportunity to remotely co-host the season finale with us, as well as receive some really awesome Grove Collaborative, FabFitFun, Juggling the Jenkins, and That's an Appropriate Prize Packs. It's easy to enter our co-host contest. Just download the podcast every week and listen for the secret code word through the first 15 episodes. Text the secret code word and then reply with your email address. Make sure you like Filter Free Parents on Facebook. You have seven days after the episode is released to enter. Every week is a new chance to enter. Every time you enter is another chance to win. All of the contest rules can be found at podcasttakeitorleaveit.com. This episode's code word is... You say it. For the love. One word. For the love. No spaces. That's it. One stinking word. For the love. From the U.S., text the secret code word to pound 44222 for your chance to win. Oh, you're going to let me do Canada? (laughs) From Canada, you can text for the love to pound 158. 
780-043-23 for your chance to win. I feel like a mathematician. It's so long. It is you Canadians, man, and your long pounds. Okay. Okay. That is inappropriate. I love my Canadian friends. Okay, so let's open up today's show with a mom fail moment. We are here because we've all struggled as moms, and anyone who says they haven't is a liar face. Now, I did the mom fail moment on your show, so you have to do the mom fail moment on my show. Okay. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. I have, there's just daily, honestly, so many. I, like, for example, I feel like a really bad mom because. I feel like my kids are always fighting for my attention mm. and I always have something to do and it's always in a minute, in a minute. And I feel like I'm going to look up from my phone one time and they're going to be college students and I'm going to be like, dang, like was scrolling through those cat videos worth missing <laughs> out on my real life. And I've been feeling especially guilty about that lately. Um, like it's kind of been really eye-opening to me like I, I act like my kids are an inconvenience often and I feel like they can feel that and so I sometimes I see their frustration and so it's like a mom fail being really more than just like a moment it's like a mom fail continuous moment that I really need to work on yeah we were talking about this last podcast and I agree with that wholeheartedly because I think sometimes life is so overwhelming that we fall into that rut of the way you put it, that they could be at inconvenience. And of course they're not. Mm -hmm. And we know that they aren't, but work gets in the way and other responsibilities get in the way and life happens faster than we can handle. Yeah. And that's, that is what causes me my unbelievable overwhelm. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that when I make a conscious effort to put my phone down, and look at my kids. They're nowhere near as annoying as they are when I'm trying to respond to an email or answer somebody's question. It's a different world because right. they have all my attention. So I'm just enjoying that moment. So I really want to start like making an effort to physically put my phone down and just be present. Um, it's something that I have to work on. I, it makes me feel really bad. So mm, I know. I think that I think every mom can relate to that. I think it's tough. If you you know what I noticed a lot lately in social media posts, hmm. um, when people are taking pictures of their families, the family members on the other end have phones in their hands. So you're taking a picture. It's like, hey, we're all out here at whatever. And you snap the picture. And like there was this picture of a family of five and three of the people were on a device. I know. And the other two people were looking. It's traumatizing. And it's, and it's just, it's part of it, right? Like it's the world we live in. But I think when you set aside specific time uh because like we have two shows that we watch as a family one is acceptable and one is absolutely probably inappropriate mm -hmm. but we watch um the goldbergs together which would be appropriate and then we watch brooklyn 99 which is probably not appropriate for the kids love it but it's a good they're two good shows right and so when we sit to watch our shows that's a family thing that we do together nobody has a device nobody gets to have anything else you're just sitting you watch you interact, you enjoy the show. That's awesome. But you ha you just have to make an effort because like I, I told you, it's it's so hard. Yeah. I hear 50% of stuff just in life because I'm buried sometimes. Yeah. So good. I'm glad I'm not alone on that. Ugh, you have another 5 billion people on the planet. I don't think that that's a correct stat. 
I, I think sometimes you just make up statistics. I did. I just said there are 5 billion people on the world. I don't even know if that's true. It's not. <laughs> Unless you're counting aliens. There'd be a lot more. Okay. All right, Meredith, let's talk about you. Meredith is a mom. She had babies, not a lobotomy. She is here to tell stories about her life, her family, her struggles, and what brings her joy. She tries to find the humor in all things. She believes that real life is dirty and exhausting, but it is important. <laughs> oh, that is a different sentence. I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought I was reading the same. She believes that real life is dirty and exhausting, but it is so important to find joy despite the monotony of the daily grind. Meredith is the founder of That's Inappropriate, which has over 2.2 million follows on Facebook. Her parents' website, Filter Free Parents, which has over 1 million views a month. This amazing podcast with her incredibly beautifully, overwhelmingly gorgeous co-host Tiffany from Juggling the Jenkins, which is universally rated number one. She, <laughs> she wrote a number one bestseller on Amazon in parenting and humor called Scoop the Poop. Is that true? Yeah. Number one? Yeah, for oh like... Oh, my God. I thought that was another a lie. a couple of days. Good for you. Thanks. And she's now going on a comedy tour. None, none of this would be possible without her business manager, her husband. Oh, and the kids. She needs something to complain about. <laughs> I threw that in for all the people who always tell me I only had kids so I could complain. I love it so much. Yeah. Okay, Meredith, can you please tell me... What made you start all of this? Who were you before it and what led to it? Oh, so let's see. I used to be a teacher. A lot of people don't know that. I taught for many years. I taught high school and middle school. Um, I was in my early 30s when I had... Uh, well, I was 30 when I had my last baby. So I as well was pregnant. It felt like forever, right? I had three kids within five years. Mm. So I just felt like I was constantly pregnant. And my husband was a workaholic. And I also worked. I was a teacher and had the three kids. And life just became overwhelming. Constantly over, just overwhelmed all the time with all of the things. And I started to become depressed and anxious all of the time. And I basically thought to myself, is this, is this really what we're doing every day? Like just a bunch of kids screaming and crying. And I didn't, I didn't love my job. My husband was never home. We weren't connecting. And I always felt like all of my energy and time and effort was always given to them and there was nothing left. I didn't exist anymore. Mm. I was no longer a person. I was, and I, I talked about it in my book. I was a shell of who I used to be. Didn't remember who Meredith was, but she was no longer here. She didn't live in the zip code. Yeah. So <clears throat> my husband kept trying to, you know, tell, he would tell me all the time, you don't look happy. What can, what can we do? How can we, how can we make this better? Like, I don't understand what you're going through. I didn't understand what I was going through. Mm -hmm. So explaining it to him wasn't going to happen. Right. So of course he just says, well, you need a hobby. <laughs> you need a hobby. That's what he would tell Start me. Start crocheting. You'll yeah, be fine. You'll be fine. You're going to smile soon enough with a hobby. And it's like, um, so I, I basically looked at him and I was like, my hobby is folding laundry and doing dishes and picking up after you buttholes. Like, that's my hobby. Like, when do you want me to find time for a hobby? And he's like, well, if I will stay with the kids, 
for an hour, you know, an hour a day or a couple of hours a week so you can go do something. Will you please find something to do so that you don't look so angry all the time? Mm. And so I felt bad about that. Right. But I was like, okay. So I was like, I'll, I'll get a gym membership. Mm. Right. I was like, I'll just, that's what I'll do. Like I'll go out and try to find adults or people or whatever and have like adult conversations. So I started working out, which helped a little bit because you meet people and you start talking and you have you know, conversations, you have friends. Um, so I started doing that and it was funny because as soon as I started kind of getting into shape, I started physically feeling ill and I didn't understand why, but I, um, have always had heartburn. I've had heartburn from the time I was a little kid. Um, but all of a sudden I started, um, losing weight, which I thought was from working out, but it was like, for me, it was a big swing. Like I had lost like 10, 12 pounds. I wasn't eating, um, as much because every time I'd go to eat food, like food was getting stuck in my throat. Um, I couldn't sleep laying down. I had to start sleeping in a chair. My hair eventually started falling out and I thought it was stress. I had like stressed myself out to the point where I was physically making myself sick. Mm -hmm. And so my husband, um, I kept telling him there's something wrong with me and he's like, no, you're fine. And so I went to the gastro doctor because every time I'd go to my regular doctor, they just give me more heartburn medication. Take more of these heartburn pills. Okay. 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 So finally, um, after seeing the gastro doctor twice and having them change my heartburn medication twice, he looked at me and said, um, you know, you're, you're, you're in shape. There's nothing wrong with you. You know, you're, you're just, you got, basically you got a case of the mom's Mm. You know what I mean? And I was like, no, I'm sick. Right. I can't swallow a pill without it coming back up. Mm. I've lost 12 pounds. This is not normal. Right. And, and so he said, well, you know, these tests can be very expensive. And, and I don't know that you could afford um, to do any of these tests. And I said, well, I have insurance. So why don't we go ahead and use that? And why don't you do a, a scope? Because why there's... Why don't you suck it? There's something wrong with me. I said, nobody should have heartburn all of the time. I said, it doesn't matter what I eat. I have heartburn. So uh, if it's a banana, it's a heartburn. Uh, if it's um, a piece of chicken, I have heartburn. If I have a salad, I have heartburn. I could take in a gulp of air and have heartburn. That's not normal. That had to be terrible. It was awful. So if you've ever had heartburn in your life, um, and I've had it, like I said, literally since I was like 10, 11 years old, I used to tell my mom my heart hurt. And now I know what it was. It was this this heartburn sensation. Um, it's agonizing because it doesn't go away when you have chronic really bad. Is it that fire in your throat yeah. feeling? Oh, yeah. gosh. Yeah. yeah. I've only had it once and I remember I wanted to die. It, well, and it's there are different types of whatever, but that's neither here nor there. So anyway, so um, he orders a scope. I I get prepared. Um, my husband takes me in for the scope because you have to go underneath the twilight sedation or whatever. So you can't drive home. So he takes me in, he scopes me, they walk you into this tiny little room after the scope to sit you down. And he says, well, we found something, I'm not sure what it is, but we need to do an ultrasonic endoscope, which can only be done at the hospital. So we'll set that up in a couple of weeks, go home. I wouldn't worry too much. Oh, okay. Well, at that moment I had cancer. Like in my brain, I was like, I've diagnosed myself oh. with cancer <laughs> because right. I was like, he found something, but they don't know what it is. He just called it a lump. 
He's like, we found a lump. And it's like, what do you mean you found a lump? And he's like, we found a lump in your esophagus. But um, I can't really see. I couldn't really tell what it was. So, you know, so I go home and I'm basically just WebMDing everything, all of my symptoms. Right. um, Which basically was like, obviously, I have esophageal cancer. I'm going to die now. I started preparing, you know, my eulogy because I was going to give it at my own funeral. (laughs) And so my husband was basically just for for the, the next two weeks, he was like, you need to relax. Like it is not like n- this is not a big deal. You're blowing things out of proportion. You know, he he could have been anything, any number of things that they found. They didn't actually, you know, he couldn't actually see anything. So I get that scheduled. I go into the hospital. I have the second scope. Before I had even woken up from anesthesia, the same doctor comes down, pulls my husband um, over and says, hey, Your wife has an esophageal tumor that has broken through her esophagus. I can no longer treat her. Uh, You need to find an oncologist immediately and, you know, take care of this. And he says, are you going to wait till my wife wakes up to tell her this? And he goes, nope, I got to go. I'm making rounds. So he gave my husband all of that information. And then my husband woke me up to tell me that I had an esophageal tumor that had broken through my esophagus, which did not go over well for him. Mm. Because, of course, I was just, what do you you mean I have a tumor? Like, what does that even mean? You have questions, I'm sure. And no doctor to tell you anything. an a-hole. We call him Dr. Asshat in the book. um, Can we say his real name and (laughs) give him bad Yelp reviews? No, I'm not going to go there. But what I can can tell you is that you have to trust your gut when you know something is wrong. Um, Your body is the one thing that you know better than anybody else. That that is including doctors. So when you think there's something wrong, you need to go and you need to advocate for yourself because I knew there was something wrong with me, right? So... So I go, um, I go home and I'm just a complete and utter panic, you know, cause obviously like all of my worst feels, worst fears were being realized here at this point. I have this tumor in my chest. I have to find an oncologist. Um, I, so I, I, I was lucky cause I had some family members in the medical field. So I start making phone calls and I start asking people like, who the heck do you see in, in this town? We live in a small town. Like who the heck do you go see? Like who, who does, um, gastro I don't even know what it's called gastro-oncology or whatever like I need a cancer doctor for my throat and my gut like I don't even know who I'm supposed to see so my ex-sister-in-law who is an um worked at one of the hospitals basically said hey this guy came down from Tampa General which is the biggest hospital that's close to us and he used to work with Moffitt which is the biggest cancer center next to us she says guess what um Dr. Golden literally just moved to our town and is practicing now. He is working with our hospital. Uh, you need to find out where his office is going to be and you need to go get a hold of him. He is a fantastic surgeon. Wow. And so I was like, holy crap. So I literally uh, started Googling this guy and I found out where they were setting up their office and I was there before they even opened the doors. Like a week later, they were unpacking boxes and I was knocking <laughs> at the door and I was like, hello, hello, is anybody in there? Mm. I'm dying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out on the sidewalk dying. Can I speak to you? Mm. And so I, um, they would not open the door because obviously I looked crazy. So I called and the receptionist was very nice when she heard that I was a 34 year old mother of three who was just diagnosed with an esophageal tumor and I needed to be seen right away. So she put me in. 
uh, to see him. I think I was the second patient in his office. Like they had just opened the doors. And so, um, we, we made an appointment to see him and he got all of our scans and all of our, all of our, you know, paperwork and everything. And he looked over everything. And so I was, Dave and I were sitting there and, uh, the doctor was like, um, so here's the thing. Um, they didn't take a biopsy because it had broken through your esophageal wall. And had they taken a biopsy in this is in fact cancer, it would spread through your entire body. So it's good that they didn't take a biopsy, but we have no way of knowing what this is. What we do know is is it, it has caused a lot of damage to your esophagus, and we have to go in and we have to take it out. He basically said, if you have esophageal cancer, a couple of things will happen. One, it's 5% survival rate. So you could wake up and we could basically be shipping you to hospice where you'll die or it's one of these other millions of things you can eat from a tube forever um we might have to take out all of your esophagus and you're um, not able to eat on your own anymore it could be blah 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 it could be this it could be that all the way down to um we'll you know we'll do the best that we can and it could you could live a relatively normal life well after i heard hospice i don't think i heard like i i I don't think much of what I was going on was actually registering. I didn't understand. Actually, when I left the office, I didn't even understand how they were going to get it out because I stopped listening. Mm-hmm. So I knew it was surgery, but like I didn't understand the whole thing. Right. So mm-hmm. I basically looked at Dave and we left and we went home. And from that moment moving forward, I planned the rest of my life. So I started making freezer meals. I started um, trying to find somebody who could do laundry for our family. I started uh, deeply thinking about if I die and something were to happen to Dave, who are the kids going to go to because I'm not going to be here anymore. And then if something were to happen to him, like this is it, we're out of options. I then basically started planning everything that I could. I looked for somebody who could clean our house. I looked for everything because I was like looking at Dave and I was like, he's, he's helpless. He Mm. does nothing for the house. At that point he wasn't, he (laughs) was not doing anything for the household. Awkward. It was, it's true. He wasn't doing anything for the, he wasn't cooking. He wasn't cleaning. He wasn't participating in any of that. He was a workaholic. He was never home. So I was trying to figure out all of the things that I did. I was trying to find a substitute person for that. Right. Fill the role, fill the role, fill the role. Then I went online and I tried to set up a match.com profile for Dave. Are you serious? Yes. Because I wanted him to find somebody. I mean, let's be honest. He's got three kids. He's bald. Little pudgy. Oh my! I wanted to give him options, right? Like, but I wanted him to be realistic with with what Meredith. <laughs> because let's be honest, right? Like, I don't know who wants to marry a guy with three kids. So I was trying to find him some options, and I knew he he liked blondes. He really does. He loves platinum blondes. I know, right? He does. I don't get it, but he loves platinum blondes. I want. He wanted to maybe a gymnast. Somebody with some flexibility. So this is what you're putting into the description bar. Right. This is what you're looking for. Yes. A flexible gymnast with blonde hair. Who will be okay with taking care of some other dead woman's children. <laughs> Correct. Okay. That was all in the bio. It was very clear. <laughs> um, and, and, and then we just started having some real conversations that we didn't want to have. And we did a lot of this. There was a lot of crying and then a lot of cooking and cleaning and preparing and then a lot of crying and then a lot of me talking to him about like, 
it's okay. I'm ready to die. Like, if this is what's going to happen, I need you. Because I was actually cool with being dead. Okay. Because I wasn't going to be here anymore, so it didn't make a difference. I was worried about them. Like, what are they going to do? Like, they're going to have to continue to live. I'll be dead. Like, if this is if this is it and this was all she wrote, I'll be dead. Um, But the thing that bothered me was I knew I hadn't done all of the things I wanted to do with my life. So I knew that I had married the right guy. I had these three beautiful children. I had a, a, a great family and I had done a lot of different things. But Meredith, that shell of a person who was just going on day by day, had not done the things that she wanted to do. So I was feeling regretful and remorseful for choices that I had made professionally or personally in the respect of who am I and what is my role and what am I doing with my life. But I knew none of that actually mattered when it came down to me looking at what my prognosis was going to be. Was I going to live? What was going to happen with me? I really only at that moment in time worried about Dave and the kids. They were the only things that I cared about. Like, how am I, how am I going to keep them clothed and fed and the house clean once I kick the bucket? Mm-hmm. And he's going to want to have sex again at some point. Mm-mm. I also want to be cremated. The ashes do have to sit over top of the bed in an urn <laughs> so that his new wife sees them. Yeah. That was the only rule. You want a new wife? Cool. My ashes are there. I'd be haunting some other truckers if yeah, you tried to Yeah, which is fine. So, which is fine. <laughs> Back <laughs> to me. <laughs> well, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> so, so I got myself prepared. As prepared as I could be, I went in. Um, I didn't realize it at the time. I thought they were going to be able to go in laparoscopically through like those little tiny incisions on your belly button and like go in and do things. They actually cut me from sternum through belly button, cracked my chest open. Um, they had to take out my entire esophagus. (laughs) They stick it like on a table, I guess. They took out the chunk that was destroyed, took the tumor out and the chunk that was no good because it actually wrapped around like a weed and broke off the whole bottom portion of my esophagus. Um, The really cool thing that they can do these days is they can do a cold dissection and find out if it's cancer right in the room, in the operating room. So he actually um, did the dissection, found out it was not cancerous, went out and told my husband so he didn't have to continue to freak out as they were in the surge. So he like went, told Dave, came back in, finished everything up, which was great. He was able to take the small portion of esophagus that I had left, flip my stomach, put my stomach up into my chest and reattach it so that I could still eat on my own, which was super cool because I was really worried about not being able, like having to eat out of a bag did not sound like a fun thing. So he was able to actually rework stuff for me, um, so that I could eat, uh, properly. Your stomach's up there? It slowly goes down, but yes, my stomach was up here gravity will take it down to where it's but your stomach usually sits like right about here so it was just up here it's cool it's fine okay it was awesome um and so i then had subsequent surgeries after that because of issues relating to it i've had three total surgeries for it but they were able to he was really he was a fantastic surgeon he was able to take care of everything and i woke up from the surgery dave looked at me he's like you don't have cancer mm. i just remember having this complete feeling of like <gasps> like i could take a breath and then i think i passed back out because i was just i was i mean you get to, you're tired you'd just been cracked open like a walnut but i but i just i think i tried to say i love you i don't even know that i did um i had a tube 
shoved up my nose and down my throat. Mm. But then eventually you wake back up. Awful recovery. Um, couldn't take pain pills uh, because they make me nauseous. And after you have your esophagus worked on, if you vomit, you ruin everything. Ooh. So they gave me some liquid Tylenol. And um, for six days, I just suffered uh, in the hospital. Then they let you go home and you start to learn how to eat again and do all of these other things again. And I remember about two weeks after after that, um, I looked at Dave and I said, um, I have to do something. And he said, what? And I said, I don't know, but I'm supposed to do something. I didn't die. Mm-hmm. I didn't die. Like it could have been, could have been really bad. Like I have to do something. And so he, um, he said, okay. And so I started to have all these crazy ideas. So let's, um, so this is the beginning of the next chapter. Yeah. Let's get a, let's get an ad in there. So nobody gets pissed off. Because I feel like I've just been rambling on. No, it was very interesting. I'm. I have questions. Okay, so no cancer, new esophagus, new, esoph- new lease on life. Yeah. Where do you go? So I told him I'm going to start a blog, and I think he laughed. Hmm. was his first reaction and I was like I can do it I can start a blog and he's like yeah okay you've you've said you wanted to write for years and you never did it I actually bought the website that's inappropriate uh, a year earlier and never did a single thing with it wow and I said no I'm gonna do it this time I'm gonna write I'm gonna talk about um I'm gonna talk about life and he's like nobody wants to listen to your life and I was like I know but I'm so tired of watching everybody on Facebook talk about how perfect their life is and only post pictures about these wonderful things because our life's a disaster. Mm. I bet there are other people out there who have a disaster of a life because you always see people posting about their, their last vacation or their this or that, which is great. Share your pictures, share your memories. But nobody was posting like kids shit in a car seat today mm-hmm. and poop everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's a poop, poop apocalypse in the minivan. And I was, you get frustrated right. when nobody is sharing the real stuff that goes on. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'm going to, sh- I'm going to tell everybody about all the things. And he's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, you are. And he's like, so he was basically like, yeah, go ahead. You want to write, go write in your free time. Like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. So I started blogging and nobody read it. And I was like, it's fine. People are stupid. <laughs> and even like family members that I was like, what do you think? It's like, well, Sure. And I was like, oh, okay. And one of the, one of the, one of the things they said was, this is just too honest. It's too much. It's too honest. Like, I don't think anybody wants to know that much. Mm. And I was like, but I think people will feel feel better if they know that other people are going through this. And so of course, Eric was always on my side. He would read my stuff and give me feedback. But, uh, some of my other family members were like, you need to not share. You're an oversharer, which I am. Mm, Same. So I was like, okay, but so, and I was writing anonymously in the beginning. Um, but so then I just started, I just kept going and I kept writing. And one of my dreams, this is going to sound super weird as a little girl. I used to love Barbara Walters when she would interview people. 
um, because I loved watching her interact with people on interviews and I loved Saturday Night Live. It was my favorite show and there was something about sketch comedy that I just loved. And so when I grew up, I wanted to be some sort of a weird hybrid between Barbara Walters and a, a writer on SNL. A writer. A writer. I love the writing. part, And of course, I love sketch comedy and acting it out. But there's something about writing comedy that just, it gets me so excited. Right. So I was trying to find myself because I had this new lease on life. And and so I'm doing all of this. And I had a couple of pieces go viral, written pieces go viral, which was fun. But I kept feeling like I was just banging my head against the wall. I wasn't getting my jokes across the way I wanted to. Things weren't coming out exactly how I wanted to. And I looked at my husband. And I told him, I said, I'm going to I'm gonna be a stand-up comedian. Mm. And he's like, oh, dear Lord. And I was like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go out. I'm going to do stand-up. And he's like, all right. And so I started doing – I, I did stand-up a couple of times, and I really loved it. And I loved um, the feeling that I got from being on stage and telling jokes. Um, but my husband was not a fan of that because stand-up happens in dive bars on we, on late nights. And he was like, you cannot be out until 2 a.m. telling jokes in a bar full of drunken people and then come home and, like, we have things to do. And he was right because it's definitely not the format for a mom of three right. who drives the minivan, right? So I said, all right, I'll I'll make videos. That's what I'll do. I'll tell my jokes on on in videos. And he goes, you know how to shoot video? And I go, no, but I'm going to figure it out. So like a good, like good husband that he was, he went and he bought me a camera. Mm. And um, I ignored the camera because it looked really difficult. Uh, and so I kept... Uh, shooting videos on my MacBook with I just flip it open <laughs> and I'd stand on the other side of it Hello, everyone. and I would make these these videos and he would get so pissed off because he's like I went to the store and I bought you a camera why do you keep recording crap on your MacBook and I'm mm. like because I don't want to read the manual I don't know how to use that thing so um, the first viral video I ever had I was just gonna ask was Mother's Day what do you want for Mother's Day what do moms want for Mother's Day so I did this video, which basically said, for Mother's Day, I want to be left the hell alone. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to talk to me. I don't want you to look at me. I want to have a mimosa. I want you to take me to brunch. I want to have another mimosa. I want um, to not clean or cook or pick up or wipe a butt or do anything. And it had the most polarizing reactions I had ever seen on anything. It had to be scary. Either you loved it or you hated it. And over the weekend, it went out on like a Thursday. And by Sunday, it had 10 million views. Wow. And I was like, holy crap, what are we supposed to do with this? Something's happening. Something's happening. What are we supposed to do? And nobody knew. Like, we didn't know. Mm -mm. We had no idea what to do with this because it was like, I had 3,000 people who followed me on Facebook the week before. And by the end of that month in May, I had 60,000 people there. Wow. And I was like, what the hell are you supposed to do going from 3,000 to 60,000 people? Mm-hmm. And then so I looked at Dave and I was like, I, I guess I make more videos. <laughs> I was like, I guess we just make more videos. I guess we just keep going. Because we didn't know what to do. There was no roadmap. There was no idea. Nobody knew what you were doing, right? But I was like, obviously, the format. And I watched Facebook and I watched how things work and I could see that video was becoming part of the platform and I understood that 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 it probably my jokes weren't probably translating as well in the written word yeah because it's I'm so sarcastic that it's hard to write in sarcasm yeah. well 
um, you have to be a really good writer to do that. Yeah. And so I felt like when I could act it out, it was easier for me to get the joke across. Makes so, sense. um, so I did that. And we just started churning out video after video after video after video. And it started to grow from 60,000. And in a, in a few months, it was 100,000. And then it was 200,000. And then it was 300,000. And from 2016 to, um, you know, now today we're at 1.8 million. Uh, mm. It's just, it's been crazy. And you have more than that. On Facebook? Yeah. 1.8 million likes 2.2 follows yeah i go by yeah. follows it's okay. a bigger number what are it's you doing it's a bigger number sorry <laughs> sorry size matters uh so and then i just started to get i just start to i'd have these ideas like my brain never shuts off so i start to have these ideas and i thought what if we create a community where these moms get to come in and it's this private spot where they're just chatting with each other and they actually are doing meetups together and and we create this website where you can put in their web put in their zip code and they can find each other and they can actually have meetups all across the country and then they know that there's a safe place for them here and let's call it the hot mess express and 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 just give them a, a, a space that they could call their own. And so we started the Hot Mess Express in 2017 mm. in October. And uh, then I was, you know, the, the and the year before that, in November, I had released the book, Scoop the Poop. And, and I just wanted to, I just started creating all of these projects so that I could let every mom out there know you are not alone. You are, you, all of the feelings that you are feeling are, uh, are valid you are doing a great job. This is really, really tough. Yeah. Uh, it's normal to lose yourself. You're not a bad person because you want to have me time. Mm -hmm. Why do you think moms stay up so late? My, yeah. My husband and I argue about this all the time. He's like, you need to go to bed earlier. And it's like, well, how do I go to bed earlier? This is my only time without being climbed on or asked for something. Everybody's asleep right now. I just want to, I just want to watch a show or I just want to sit and read this thing or I just want, and, and so it's, it's exhausting because you are everyone's everything all of the time. And I, do you find though that at night when everybody's going to sleep, you get things done though? Like, do you find yourself working or are you good about dedicating your time to doing something ch chill, like watching TV? I, when we see this in the bedroom, I do not use my phone. Ooh. So when I go into the bedroom, the phone is plugged in and it's on the nightstand and I don't touch it. Wow. Uh, because I need to shut that part of my brain off. I'll watch a show or I'll, you know, do something else. But I always have to argue with my husband because he likes to crush candy in bed. <laughs> so <laughs> he, he will be crushing candy like a fiend. And I, we're, I'm like, we're watching the show, right? And he's like, yeah, I'm watching the show. And I'll turn and look and he's crushing candy. Now that's how he unwinds. Yeah. So it's hard because I want to, I'm like Game of Thrones. Like, what are you, what are you doing? It's Game of Thrones. You're crushing candy. Like pay right. attention to right. what we're doing. This is our time. And he's like, no, this is what I want to do with my time. You do whatever you want with your time. So I shut my phone off. I need to, I need to not. That's really impressive. I don't know if it's impressive or I just, my brain no, is. is done. Self-control. It's good self-control. Like I have to have my, I have my phone all throughout the night because I listen to YouTube while I'm sleeping. Mm. Like really nice, peaceful, um, like crime stories and stuff. Peaceful crime so. <laughs> stories about murder. But I love the idea because I, your body gets into a habit of, um, if you do something long enough, so your body will associate the bed with sleeping as opposed to scrolling for hours. So, 
What's crushing candy? Oh, Pamela. Oh, girl. <laughs> crushing candy is probably uh, probably accounts for three percent of all divorces worldwide. There's a stat. Put it in your pocket. Do you find yourself getting a lot of criticism? And if so, how do you deal with that? Anything you post now, uh, once it gets to a certain size, right? Like, yes, you're going to have tons, tons of it. And I find that nine times out of 10, what I'm saying, you either love me for it or you have a visceral reaction and you hate me for it. Mm -hmm. And that's cool. Like, I don't care. You don't have to like me. You can mm. keep scrolling. You can go to the next thing. The only times I've gotten really bent out of shape are when people are talking about my kids mm. or my uh, or my family. You know, like they'll talk about my husband. I, for the longest time, people kept trolling my page and saying, there's no way you're actually married. <laughs> Nobody would ever marry you. You're such a wretched woman. This guy kept coming back to my page and would just all the time, she's not actually married. Because you don't see my husband on the in the videos or on the page. Right. So people finally, this one guy was like, she's not even married. She's a liar. There's mm. nobody there. So one time I had Dave take his hand and like put it into the frame. And I was like, that's my husband's hand because I'm actually married. Mm -hmm. And then he pulls it away. But it's like people, will, and it's like you spent time, dude. You came back over and right. over and over again to my page to tell people that I'm not actually married. Just respect the fact that my husband doesn't want to be on camera. Right. Like that's not his thing. He doesn't like it. He doesn't find it amusing or fun like I do. So he's not on, right? right. And I make jokes. He's not actually in the CIA. Or is he? But it's just, it's our thing, right? So I don't know. I, I think people can complain about anything. I'm proof of that. Mm. <laughs> I love how you handle that. That was a selfish question. It was for me. Mm. <laughs> Talking about love and marriage. Um, in the beginning, Dave was kind of trepidatious about this hobby that you chose. That's an SAT vocab word. I, feel, I use it all the time. Oh, okay. It's the biggest one I know. Okay. Um, would you say that he came around eventually? And at what point? Fourth of July. 2016. That's specific. It is. And the only reason I can tell you that date is because it was 4th of July and the actual real fireworks happened that day at our house because we <laughs> <laughs> or was it 2015? Was it 2016? She keeps talking to an empty mm. chair like Sorry. there's nobody even there. There's nobody I, there. You're not are married. Are supposed to pretend like you have a husband? <laughs> <laughs> so... The only reason I know that date is because at that point I had been um, working full time, trying to try, trying to get this blog started, you know, kids, life. My husband was working nonstop, complete workaholic, never home. Um, I was so worn out. Anybody who says you can have it all and do all of the things and be everything is a liar. You can't. It's also not, there's no such thing as a balancing act. You're going to drop something. What? I feel like you're referring to someone specifically. No. <laughs> that we oh. looked at earlier today. Yes. <laughs> I knew you had some resentment. Well, because here's the thing. When somebody tells you that you can have it all and all you have to do is learn how to balance, it, it it's it's such it's such a uh, an unreachable goal 
And when people fail, they feel so isolated in that failure. And it's just not true. You have to give things up. That's what sacrifice is. And a lot of times when you're trying to do or gain or, or, or work at something, sacrifices are are just part of it. Sacrifices Mm. come along the way. Right. So I just don't like that. It's not, it's, I'm very honest about the fact that along this journey, I have had to sacrifice a lot of things. I have failed miserably at tons of things, been rejected and told no, and didn't get things that I thought I should have gotten or whatever along the way over and over and over again. I think sometimes, especially on social media, people just see your successes because that's what they like to post. So anyway, so 4th of July. Um, so I was doing uh, all of the things all of the time. And so I finally looked at my husband and I was like, I can't keep this up. I can't do all of this. I can't, uh, keep trying to get this blog off of the ground. You know, this isn't just a hobby. I want this to be a business. I want to be able to do this all of the time. It's, it's what I, it's, it's what I want. And I need you to help out. I need you to pitch in. I need you to be involved. And he looked at me I'll never forget his face. He was sitting in this red armchair that we have and he looked at me and he, he was like blown away. He had no idea that I was so overwhelmed. And I thought to myself, how do you not know how overwhelmed I am? I am constantly doing all of the things all of the time for everyone. Like, how do you not know I'm overwhelmed? And he's like, well, why don't you just ask me for help? And it's, I was so furious at that point. I just, the screams that were coming from my body sounded like they were coming from an animal (laughs) because I was just like, I ask you for help all the time, but you're always busy and you're never here and you never help and you never do. And then it was this whole argument of the you nevers. You never do the dishes. You never help with the kids. You never do blah, blah, blah. And it was just this massive. And he just sat there and he was just, it looked like Bambi. (laughs) And, and then I started to laugh. And then he really freaked out because he was like, why are you laughing? And I'm like, I just think it's hilarious that you have no idea about any of these things. Like, how could you not know? Like, you know, and at that point we had been married for, I don't know how many years, um, maybe 12 or whatever. And so I was just like, I'm done. Like I'm out, I'm I'm out. Like I, I can't do this anymore. Either you start helping out, you get involved with what's going on here or I'm, I'm done. Like I'm out. And I don't think we spoke the rest of that day. We then had to awkwardly go to a family barbecue (laughs) because it was 4th of July. (laughs) And no, I don't want any mac and cheese, David. (laughs) And I think he did at one point, like try to bring me a plate of food. And I just looked at him and I like slapped it. And I was like, no, (laughs) I do not want your hot dog. And so over the next couple of days, we we started to have these conversations and he was like, okay, like I hear you. I heard what you said. I can, I can, I can do that. I understand. I can be there. I can show up. And he started helping out around the house. And then he started taking an interest in what I was doing. And then of course, right after that, um, I had this harebrained idea that I was going to write this book. And so I decided in like August, I was like, I'm going to write this book. And once I said it out loud online, I had to actually do it, right? Because I told everybody mm. I was going to write a book. And then I was like, oh, shit, I got to write a book. Mm-hmm. And so in eight weeks, I wrote a book. Wow. And and then I and then we we published this book and and it crashed our website because we were selling copies live. And 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 he was like he I think he was he was as overwhelmed as I was, but he was also looking at it from like, holy crap, like all these people are here and she's she wrote this book and and 
this is real. And so he was like, okay, okay. So he sort of got, he sort of got on this whole, like all hands on deck. Like we have to all kind of come together and figure this out. And he basically looked at me and he said, if you actually want this to be something bigger, you have to take responsibility too for the things that you need to do. And that is be more business minded and like actually like pay attention. You can't just do the fun stuff. You have to do the other stuff too, which is awful. Right. And terrible. And then, then there's like budget meetings and like all this terrible things. And so he had, he said the words mission and vision to me. And I was like, Oh my God, like this is murder. My eyes glaze over whenever people try to talk to me about that aspect of what we do. Right. And so we had to start talking about all of those things though. And we had started to have those conversations and I was like, wouldn't it be great if like we could do this together? Like what if we did all of this together and we had all these wacky, crazy family adventures and he's like, (laughs) you're insane. Uh, And I said, no, I mean it. I, I really mean it. Like what if we actually do what we wanted to do from the beginning, which is I want to dedicate my life to talking about the real nitty gritty down and dirty parts of motherhood and marriage and all of this. And what if we, what if we do all of these things together? And he was like, well, let's set up a plan to do that. And so we set up this, this long-term plan. And then, um, eventually it wound up that he is now working with me. We now, he's now the producer of our podcast. He now helps out with all the business aspects of the business. That's why we call him the business manager. We called him the business manager long before he was actually managing any business. He was just managing the business. If oh, you know what I mean? Girl, okay. Yeah. So now it's, um, interesting because, we are doing all of the things together all of the time. And that has its own set of issues and joys. Yeah. But it's great because he understands that when I get really excited about something, like I said, I, I want to have a podcast and he was like, yeah, okay. But and I'm like, I, I want to have a podcast. I have a podcast now. I need, I just want to have a podcast. I get it, dude. And then he has helped me make that happen. Right. Because, and he's produced a killer podcast. Season yeah. one was fantastic. Season two is obviously voted number one globally. Voted- Correct and already only four four episodes in, so I think yeah. it's incredible. It is. I'm lucky. I am blessed. Hashtag blessed. Yeah. Okay. So all I need to do is lose my shit on my husband, mm. and he will help me with my stuff. It was it was the fight where where people talk about like they literally were close to like the the break the psychotic break the end like that for me that was the thing like mm. i li- i had nothing left in me right i was mentally and physically exhausted everything was done and although he was a good husband and a good dad he wasn't giving me the support that i needed and i felt resentful because for the entire first half of our marriage and life together i did everything so he could go back to school and he could realize his potential professionally and do the things that he needed to do and i was just like no like i it's my turn i need to do some things and i was very selfish about it but i said to him like get on board and pitch in because i want to do this right. and he did he Amazing. showed up he showed up and without him, I wouldn't be able to do any of the things that I do throughout the day because he's what keeps me organized. Well, I can't say organized cause I'm not, but he keeps me grounded ground, like going in the right direction because otherwise I can't even follow a Google map. But it says a lot about you too, to be able to listen to him. It's like a struggle. I feel like if my husband tried to be like, sit down, you don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm the professional. Um, yeah. uh, so what's next? 
So next is a dream of mine that I've had for quite some time, and that is getting ready to go on tour. So I have a couple of dates coming up. I will actually be in San Francisco on March 16th for a show called the Pep Talk Series, where I go with my good friends, Gary Brooks and Mr. D and a couple of other comedians. It's um, They're all teachers, and I used to be a teacher, and they asked me if I wanted to come tell some mom jokes. So I did a show with them in Atlanta back in December, and we're doing another one in San Francisco on March 16th. I'm going to go up and hang out with um, C.A. and Brooke in Louisville on April 13th. Uh, May 17th, I'll be in Iowa at the Bomb Mom Getaway. I'm going to be doing some stand-up over there to welcome the ladies to their retreat. And then I am... What? Are you cheating on me? What do you mean? Is that the one we were supposed to do together? No, 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 no. Relax. All right, go ahead. Relax. You had so many dates, I didn't feel like I could book you for another thing. Whatever, that's fine. That wasn't... that. Have fun at your retreat. It's fine. Then I'm going to be in Akron, Ohio on June 1st at the Civic Theater, which will be my first big time real deal show. Mm -hmm. And then I will be in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on June 2nd at the Biome Theater. Your very own show. And what it would tell me about this show that you're doing, <laughs> and the and my own show are the ones in the one in Akron and and Pittsburgh is just gonna it's it's a dream come true because it's an opportunity for me to be with these women um, who have been in the community and have been following and we're gonna gonna actually get to meet face to face. There's a meet and greet and VIP and all of that, but we're gonna just get to share the same air and be together, and that's what I'm really excited about. So there's obviously gonna be jokes, inappropriate ones at the very least uh st- um, stand up i'm going to do some interacting with the audience obviously there'll be questions and answers and a lot of other fun things along the way it's called the dirty laundry tour <laughs> and i thought what better what better thing to call it other than the thing i'm constantly doing which is dirty laundry mm-hmm. so i'm really excited about it and i really just i really hope that that is going to give me an opportunity to connect at a at a deeper level because we do interact every single day on social media. But just when, when you get to see somebody's face who mm-hmm. used to be a screen name, something really cool happens. Yep. And I've done this time and again, when I've been at other people's events where I come and tell some jokes or do whatever, but there's something really gut wrenching about it being your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've known for forever that I wanted to be able to, to, to do this. So I'm really excited to have the opportunity to do that. And hopefully um, we'll sell uh, sell those tickets, and then we'll open up uh, more tour dates after that. Awesome. Tickets go on. Tickets, when you hear this episode, tickets will already be on sale, but you can go to that'sinappropriatelive.com, and you can scoop up tickets to either the Akron show on June 1st or the Pittsburgh show on June 2nd. Amazing. Mm, thank you, friend. You're welcome. I, I learned a lot about you, actually, that I didn't know. Um, I did not know that your stomach could go into your throat, <laughs> for starters. Um, but thank you so much for sharing. And I I hope that other people, because um, you don't usually talk about some of this stuff. You know, you like to keep it very lighthearted. You don't go into too much detail about the things that happened and led to it. At least I haven't heard it. I th- no, I haven't really touched on it much. I find that I do that more at those kind of in-person things that I've done before. People have mm. asked me to share that aspect of the story, but I, I do really try to find the humor because I don't want to cry. I'd much rather laugh than cry. I say that all the time. So I do try and find the humor in everything that I'm doing. I look for that silver lining, but it is, but, but I was given a gift. That tumor was a gift. 
that tumor gave me the opportunity to say everything could have been done. Like lights could have been out. Mm -hmm. And now I literally look at every, everything that I want to do. And even though it's really scary to fail, Mm -hmm. now I know it's like, I have to try it. I have to try it because I mean, I could be dead. As my mom says, you could wake up dead tomorrow. Mm. That is deep. You could wake up dead tomorrow. So you need to pay attention to life. Yes. Be better at life. What a good lesson, though. So uh, that's a Christine nugget of wisdom for you. (laughs) Um, Awesome. So everybody who's listening, go check out her book on Amazon and buy tickets to her show. And make sure you listen to all the podcasts that you have missed, if any. If any. Go back. And uh, make sure you check out the website to get... um, my phone died and I forgot everything I was going to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> Make sure you check out the website uh, to l- learn the deets on how to enter the co-hosting contest at the end of the, just, you say it. Go to podcasttakeitorleaveit.com for all rules, regulations, and information on the co-hosting opportunity. Was that written? No. Oh, it sounded so good. Well, when you're a number one globally rated co-host. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us this week. And thank you, Meredith, for opening up your soul and <sighs> rib cage. My rib cage is open for you anytime, <laughs> Tiffany. And I appreciate you and all of our uh, listeners out there. Yes. Because you're not alone. Ever. Mm-mm. We got gotcha. you. In the palm of our hands. <laughs> I'm not going to go by. Bye. I love you. Bye. Uh